Welcome to the Bragworthy Culture Podcast, where leaders share how they've created a company so incredible their employees have to tell their friends about it. And now, here's your host, Jordan Peace. Welcome back to Bragworthy Culture. Today, we get a chance to chat with Daniel Fuller of Fullstack. Daniel's background prior to Fullstack is coaching global entrepreneurial leaders and Indianapolis mission-driven organizations. So Daniel's also a podcast host. Uh, His show is called Savage to Sage. So definitely go check that out. Uh, Free plug there for you, Daniel. Thanks. And where he explores entrepreneurial leadership and how those leaders create cultures that enable team members to both be challenged, but also to grow and thrive. So welcome, Daniel. Thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you, Jordan. It's good to be with you. Yeah, this will be fun. Uh, Daniel, I mostly want to talk about you, of course, but for context for everyone listening, tell us about Fullstack. Maybe tell us about PEOs in general, because it's it's an acronym that those of us sort of in the business are very familiar with, but but maybe everybody else isn't. Um, so educate us, if you will. Yeah, I'll try not to put people to sleep because whenever you start dropping acronyms like PEO, I think certain personalities are just like, all right, tell me when to wake up. Um, (laughs) But yeah, uh, PEO stands for Professional Employer Organization. It's a business model that's been around for a a long time, 30-ish years. And ultimately, it allows small companies to outsource HR to one trusted partner. And um, Fullstack is one of those that started specifically to be that partner for early stage and growing technology companies. Mm. And, you know, and so Fringe, if you were located in the Midwest markets that we're going after, would be like a prime target because you are a, a startup that's growing, that has like a significant growth trajectory and most likely does not want to do all the transactional HR components. You want to be focused on culture and leadership development you know, those strategic HR components. And so you outsource all of the administrative and then we take care of all of that so that you can be focused on, you know, growing your business. And so that's, that's the background. And we, again, we got started specifically to be a turnkey solution for early stage technology companies and to go kind of above and beyond the transactional nature of PEOs to be a strategic partner for those companies. So think a suite of strategic services that go beyond just, you know, benefits administration compliance and help really solve the the human pains that companies like you have um, when you're starting and scaling a company. Right. That makes perfect sense. And, and, and if anybody fell asleep at the acronym that, you know, please wake up for the (laughs) remainder here, but no, it, it actually is a really interesting concept. And, and, I don't know why it came about decades ago, but the usefulness of it to me now is is something that you just hit on that basically you're not you're not outsourcing all of the concept of human resources of all of the concept of like how do we take care of our people you're really as a company outsourcing a lot of the administrative mm-hmm. headaches right the things that take a lot of time that have a minimal impact on culture mm-hmm. Right. So that those people, people, those people, leaders can then focus their attention on how do I build my people up from a relational standpoint? And that seems and I'm theorizing here, but do you think that that is sort of the growth of the PEO market and the growth of the employee experience 
kind of revolution. Mm -hmm. Do they go together hand in hand? Is there intentionality there in your mind as to why both of those things kind of are growing simultaneously? Yes, I I do. And actually we we're in some working through our, our vision and mission. And, you know, my vote is that we focus on something like when you do vision, you want to think big and um, like a big, hairy, audacious goal. I forget who coined that. My idea is like, you know, 10,000 employees who are having a phenomenal employee experience, because that's, Mm -hmm. that's ultimately the goal that we're, we're trying to support our clients to, to succeed, because Mm -hmm. if they have a great employee experience, their business will succeed. And um, so let me, to make it very tangible, let me drill it down to like, what I think is probably the most important aspect of HR. And that's how you start that's onboarding. And, um, so the onboarding experience for most small companies is like chaotic at best. It's sort of like if someone has a laptop on their first day, like most small companies consider it a success. And, um, and then <laughs> if you go beyond that into like, do they have an I-9 document? So they're actually legally employed by you and you're compliant and you're not, if you get audited, you're not going to get fined. Like that's, that's like second. Okay. That's great. If you did that. So there's this whole list of things that have to get done when someone, a new employee is onboarded for you to legally employ them. Like a a PEO, like full stack takes care of all that. And so what your team can be focused on is what is that person's employee experience like on their first day, their first three weeks, you know, two months of being on the job because people smarter than me have done a lot of research around um, how that, first two weeks, the first four weeks of an employee's experience is predictive of their longevity with your company and how much they will contribute to the company's success. Because the first two to four weeks really show you kind of what, what is this company really made of? And then what's, what's this employee made of and how do those, those two align? And if you as a company can have an intentional focus on that, you're, you're going to give yourself the best shot to really keep that person, you know, if they're a person that you want to keep. So that makes perfect sense. I, you know, we, we use a PEO ourselves and to your point, like one of the greatest impacts is just not thinking about things like an I-9, like having that stuff like automated and someone else reaching out to the employee and then signaling me to just like sign right. the thing and like, you know, all of that, because what it enabled us to do, and you, you, I'm just rephrasing what you just said, but we had an employee launch with us, I think about a month ago. And her comment was really funny to me. It was almost with just what you just said. She said, this is like two days in. She was like, I've had such a great first two days. Normally day one, I get a laptop and day two, I hope someone slacks me and tells me like (laughs) something to do or introduces themselves. And that's like, that was her expectation of the first two days. But her first two days were like filled with like, she got a welcome box and she did get her laptop and a pair of AirPods. And we, you know, like I met with her and another founder met with her and her team met with her. And we just, you know, we're able to focus on the Mm -hmm. person and not all the legality and all the other things that need to happen while they are important. It's not what you're excited to do when you hire a new person. It's not what they're excited to do when they jump, when they jump in. Right. So just, just as a, uh, testimonial of someone, you know, using a platform, 
you know, similar, I think, in, in a lot of ways to, to yours, such an advantage, especially for a small company where there's just limited yeah. resources, right, to focus on all of these various things. So I said I wanted to talk about you. So I'd love to hear a little bit, like, obviously, a PEO like Full Stack, you're going to serve startups, at least in part, you know, tech companies. So there's a natural connection between that and your kind of your work with Full Stack, your podcast that's about culture and about sort of building, you know, your organization the right way to support people. And then a natural connection between that and Sycamore Way, which was your previously founded startup. So I'm just curious to hear kind of the last five to 10 years, how did you sort of find yourself in this world of entrepreneurs and as such a champion for company culture and investing in people? On this show, I'll, I'll give you really the soundbite version because um, it's it probably requires at least <laughs> one bottle of whiskey to make it through the whole story but for okay. both of our sakes, actually. So, yeah. So I started in mission-driven organizations, so nonprofits serving some of the most vulnerable people in my city where I am in Indianapolis. Mm-hmm. And so ultimately, I saw the same story in multiple organizations that I was a part of for the first 10 years of my career. And that was organizational dysfunction and employee burnout and leader leader burnout. And so these folks were doing incredible things for people that were very vulnerable and they did not have a functional organization to, to support them in doing that work. And it was an unsustainable model for them as, as human beings. Not only do people get paid Generally speaking, in nonprofits, they get paid very little compared to what I right. see now in terms of what you know what a tech startup or scale up can pay someone that in some like is entry level that they're getting paid right. like the same level as in many cases a leader a tenured leader was in a, in a nonprofit who's doing I would say some yeah. of the most important work in our country in our world and so they they're getting paid very little so there's financial stress and they're encountering some of the most painful human situations. So there's like secondary trauma that they experience. And so, and then the, the need, the work never ends. And so, so that was me. And in a lot of ways, just being on the front lines, you know, especially for the first five years of that, that career path and just had this sense of calling, like I was supposed to do something to help, you know, some of the most vulnerable people. Hmm. And yet I, I didn't have the tools to to make it sustainable for myself as a person. And then the organization, the organizations right. that I were a part of did not have the tools to help support me in that work, mm. you know, over a long period of time. And so as I was heading down that, you know, path to burnout, thankfully I was had some circumstances that just woke me up to like the path that I was on. And I was given the ability to, to really make some changes for a couple organizations that I was a part of in, in those areas to help support team members. And so that really is what mm-hmm. launched Sycamore Way to say like, okay, we've, we've done some experiments. We've tried this at one Indianapolis organization. How can we try more experiences where we can create cultures of mission-driven organizations that are, are sustainable and, um, Wow. sustainable for the organization, for the people, and then ultimately for the people that they're serving. And so that's what I set out to do. And what brought me to full stack was realizing, 
this was not only a problem that is is experienced by mission driven nonprofit organizations. It's it's a problem that right. is endemic to just most industries, especially in the United States. They they're created the the work model is created to run people into the ground quickly. And as a result, mm-hmm. to have health issues, to have both mental and physical, psychological health issues, and to right. be something generally that people start to dread rather than really enjoy and love. And so that's what that's what drew me to Full Stack was to partner together with people that shared that that vision for, you know, really impacting work cultures and the employee experience uh, on a wider level. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, and just as you know, Jordan, from being a founder yourself, like being on your own doing that with Sycamore Way compared to being with a team doing that of like, you know, I was not one of the right. founders of Full Stack, but being basically being the first person outside of the founders to join the team, I was able to partner right. together with people on that. That was really enticing at the time because, you know, being on your own, it, it gets lonely. So. Yeah, absolutely. As we've you know, as we've all experienced more in the last kind of 14, 15 months than we ever have probably uh, just regardless of what organization we're in. But it, what's fascinating, there's so many comments I have on what you just said. And I think I'll, it, next time you're in town, I'll take you up on that bottle of whiskey. I want to hear more. But, you know, what's interesting is like sometimes the stakes have to be higher for us to see the problem that's right in front of us. Right. Like, for example, there's been remote workers forever, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> For a long, long time, especially since the internet came along. And yet we spent most of our time ignoring them as opposed to finding specific ways to serve them until the majority was remote. And now we're all focused on solving mm-hmm. that problem, right? And and I think for, it sounds like what happened in your situation is like the stakes were so much higher. Like you had people serving a vulnerable people group right? Such that if they didn't put on their own oxygen mask, they wouldn't be able to serve the the others that they were serving. And so Mm -hmm. if they burn out, they leave a vulnerable people group all the more vulnerable because those resources fall away. And I don't even know the context of exactly Mm -hmm. what the work is you're referring to, but just in general, right? So the stakes were bigger than, well, employees burned out and so our profitability suffered, right? Or our productivity suffered. Like there were actual people that suffered. In that scenario. So sometimes when the stakes are bigger, it enables you to see things that you can then go and apply to the rest mm-hmm. of life where the same thing is true. It's just you don't have the extremity to like put it in your face, you know, and allow you to see it. So what an interesting path to like be able to see that and then apply it to everyone, for-profit, nonprofit, whatever, because when we burn out we're hurting ourselves, we're hurting our families, we're hurting our customers, we're hurting the folks we serve in our nonprofits if we're part of one, and we're hurting the company, you know, or, or whatever that entity is. So fascinating. That's really interesting that you ended up where you did and, and what a unique point of view. That's really cool. Thanks yeah. for sharing that. That's, I'd, I'd love to just talk about that the rest of the time, but I'll try to keep, I'll try to keep on task with the focus of our podcast. I wanted to ask you, speaking of your unique point of view, you're in business development. I've been in business development prior to leading this company. And so I know that when you're in that role, you based on the questions people ask 
and the decisions that they make, you get a pretty clear picture of what they care about, what they value as a person and as an organization. You know, so I'm curious, what decisions do you see your clients making or your prospects making that indicate to you that they either really value their people like genuinely and they want to support them or they're just kind of like trying to keep up with the Joneses or like just offload HR onto somebody because they don't actually care about their people. Like, is it obvious and apparent to you when you talk to kind of two different groups on that spectrum? It is. And sometimes it does require a little bit of prodding, which is kind of what I see my goal as is to, you know, curiously prod and, I spend most of my time in a sales role asking questions and listening uh, because I, I find right. the the idea that a salesperson is to pitch their business as like um, something that is needs to be reformed. Right. So rather than going on that soapbox, I'll answer the question. And, and <laughs> that is, you can tell that someone by their approach wants to invest in their employees and pretty quickly in terms of, you know, when you start talking about benefits and what, what benefits they want to have in place, if they are continually going back to not just cost, but like, how can I do this as cheaply as possible? Just so I have some, just so I have something right. available for my, yeah, for Check my people. Um, because I know that right. this big competitor in town, you know, is, is going to steal them. If not, if it's just like, yeah, the box checking, then you can tell like, okay, this is just a, you know, you see your employees as an asset or I should say a resource, a liability to get to you to a certain goal, as opposed to this is like the lifeblood of, of why we exist. And so right. I would say if, if someone's asking more, you know, how do we truly support and invest in the, my team? And these are like, you can hear things like these people are like my family, their families are like, you know, a part of our extended mm. family, you know, you, you just pick it up yeah. in the language that they use. And then this, the sentiments mm. that they express sometimes nonverbal just around, you know, when they describe their people. Mm. And so that's, I mean, that's really the type of clients that we're, we're trying to work for where we see like the, the biggest impact. Yeah. I'd imagine there's a, there's a personal and sort of ethical reason why you want to work with customers like that. Is there also a business reason? Like, is there a notable kind of success rate or growth rate that you could point to to say, hey, companies that love their people and show it, they're actually the ones exploding? Like, is that, I'd like to think that's true, but I don't have the data you do. It is. Does that play out in real life? So we don't have the data yet, um, but I can say from a narrative perspective, yeah. like we've been at this since 2017 really. So our first clients came on board uh, the first of the year 2018. So we we really have just about three right. years of data right now. And then narrative experience of a lot of the, the early startups that we have, that we started supporting, you know, 2018, 2019, that have seen that, that growth. Right. I would say those leaders from the beginning, you know, when I was I or someone on my team was talking to them, getting them up and running when they're three to five employees, you can, right. you can just tell like they, A, they have a vision in mind of where they want to go. Like, and that vision is painted very clearly. Mm -hmm. And then B, they know like investing in my, my people is the number one strategy to, for me to accomplish that vision. And then 
you know, I'm bringing on full stack to help me, you know, to accomplish that. And right. just the way that they interact, it's like the, it's not only the people, like, these are the people that I'm, I'm interested in. And I'm cur- more curious about like, after like the business meeting, like, I just want to, I want to spend time with them right. because of the stories that they share just kind of between the lines of mm. like the actual like sales conversation to come onto a PEO. It's like, wow, but like, I really want to know more about that. And um, you can tell that that's yeah. someone that is going to build a company that, you know, is where human beings want to want to do their best work and stay. Mm. Because if you don't really like being around someone and don't like interacting with them, even if you believe deeply about the like the mission of what your company does like it's you probably have a a time stamp on when you're going to be done there just because like we can only endure people and groups that we don't want to be around you know for for so long so. right no that's a great point it's it's really interesting uh, you know it and i think unfortunately a lot of leaders you miss out on the chance to have significant impact on people's lives, like right inside your organization, because you can get so concerned with the bottom line or so concerned with what your investors think or, or what, and, and it's understandable. There's a lot of pressure in the startup world. And there's VCs breathing down your neck. We have, caveat, we have fantastic investors. Nobody's breathing down my neck, but, but you know, that's the reputation, right? And it's, it's hard to forget that like, you might be giving somebody the best job they've ever had and ever will have and like an opportunity to grow significantly in their career and personally and, you know, and the way you treat them can impact the rest of their lives. So it's a shame, but it's, I figured that you, you had a pretty good solid perspective on being able to see the difference between kind of those types of leaders and what they're focused on. I'm curious just because you are, you know, squarely in the kind of benefits world, right? And you guys help with onboarding. There's a lot more than benefits that you do, but you do know benefits. And I'm curious, are there themes with your clients, like the ones that you really like, the ones that you want to bring on your podcast and you and you mm-hmm. see them growing, right? Are there themes in terms of the way that they approach the benefits themselves, like what mm-hmm. selections they make, what actual benefits they add on, or how much budget, like what is it? Is there anything sort of in the dollars and cents that you could look at a spreadsheet and go, I bet they have a good culture, right? Just based on like those selections. Yeah. So I would say two things. One, again, they're, they're tangibly investing above the minimum in, you know, in employee benefits. And so, you know, there's, there's a minimum that we have, for example, you know, on the health insurance side, if you provide it, like, contractually you have the employer okay. has to give this amount and so we could i could tell okay. you like the people that are giving you know somewhere between like 75 and 90% of employee benefits i mean sometimes more than that you know taking right. that cost burden primarily on themselves like that that typically is is statistically going to show us like they really want to invest in in their team and then the second mm-hmm. piece is yeah. um they just have some outside of the box, quote unquote, benefits that don't typically, you know, fit into like what you would see here normally, but are specifically honing in Mm -hmm. on, you know, the, again, the humanity of their employees. And so one example is, um, 
I'm not going to name names. We have a startup client who is in the, you know, the SaaS space and they have a policy where everyone has to take at least a continuous two week period off per year. And so it's, it's not just like, you know, you, you you can have two, two to three, two to three weeks off. It's like, right. In order for you to like recharge, you have to take at least two weeks straight off, you know, in the year. And so I, I know from every friend that I've talked to, that's been in, like an entrepreneur and everyone that I've interviewed would say like, if I just take a week long vacation, it's like, by the time we're ready to leave from the vacation to come back home, that's when I finally entered into like that, like calm space. Right. And it's, it's like, and I Guilty. feel like, yeah. I feel like <laughs> I need another week just to like stay in that space of like pure rest and peace, mm-hmm. you know? in order for me to fully come back recharge. Yeah. And so I think, you know, my friends at this startup really have understood that and said, like, we want our people at their best and when they're off to be truly off. And so I think, yeah, like those mm-hmm. outside of the box thinking in terms of benefits are really show that as well. So. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you. I know it's not like the most straightforward question, but the reason I ask it, is I just want listeners who a lot of our listeners, I think, you know, they tend to be people leaders and they're in the HR world and so forth. But, you know, a lot of times they're just employees of organizations that are interested in a great culture. Right. And just from a standpoint of like, if you're out there right now looking for a job, like the salary is not going to be the indicator as to whether or not a company cares about their people, right? And it's hard to get a sense for what the culture is Mm -hmm. before you get into it, right? But I think benefits are one of those areas that if you understand what you're looking at, then you can kind of get a leading indicator, so to speak, of whether or not this company really cares about their people and invests in them. So I I, I appreciate that my my theory there is at least backed up by your experience there, Daniel. Because that's that's something I used to be a financial advisor. I used to talk about benefits with all my clients. And it was just something that I noticed as well. But. So I, I think lastly, and I, you know, I can't keep you all day. I wanted to ask you what you're seeing in the space of kind of returning to work, so to speak, the virtual versus in-office versus hybrid debate, all that good stuff. What are you seeing in your client base from that standpoint? Like, are, are there notable changes in the utilization of some of your programs or some of the ways that you support your people? Like, what's notably different kind of coming, hopefully, out of covid here as we're in the middle of June, 2021? That's a good question. I actually just have a story to tell. So I was actually at the office of one of our clients today and speaking with their, they have an internal HR manager. And this person was basically like, you know, we were surprised because now that we've had this like official return to work, we thought like our space would be underutilized. We're actually not sure because they've, they grew you know, pretty, pretty well during the pandemic, we're actually not sure if we're going to have enough space for everyone that wants to come back. And so I would say, you know, while like all of our clients, because they, they were, most of them were already in that spot where they supported remote work. And that's a big reason why they worked with us to help them help support them in that and all of the compliance that goes into that. But 
now I would say there's this return hunger of like the human interaction in person that is everyone has been starving for and like, and just missing and felt the lack of for, for the last year. And so I think the companies that are going to thrive the most are going to figure out a way to be truly hybrid, but then to, you know, to create Mm -hmm. in-person experiences um, for, for their team and making a budget for that. So like, if, you know, let's just take fringe, if you had, I'm assuming you have people all over the country, but whether it's twice a year or once a year, you find a place where you're flying, whether it's your, your home base there in Virginia or somewhere else, you're like paying the travel expenses for, for your team to get together and have that human interaction. And, um, people have been doing this well before COVID, but I think it's just now that they're hearing the feedback from employees and truly listening to them. Like we really need to provide this in-person connection. And so Mm -hmm. that's, that's what I would say people really need to begin thinking about and being proactive on, uh, because it is so nice that you can just roll out of bed and, you know, sign on and you won't know if I'm wearing shorts right now or not, but yeah, I think, I mean, I'm someone, and I would say probably most business development people can only stay on Zoom for so long. You know, it's just after a certain right. period of months yeah. and and then days with four to six, you know, to eight Zoom meetings in a row, it's like, it's killer. And so that's what I would say, like cultures really need to be thinking about is how do we become truly hybrid? And if, even if we are going to stay fully remote, you know, 90% of the time for that other 10% of the time, what do those in-person experiences look like for people to, to interact and build that connection that all of us need, whether we can admit it or not. Right. (laughs) Yes. Very true. Uh, Yeah. We had a the quick little story we, you know, speaking of, we are based in Virginia. We had a happy hour that just came together that none of the leadership technically initiated. Just a couple of folks were like, hey, let's have a happy hour. And I think that they meant it as like virtual, but then it just sort of turned into like, let's actually get together. We had people fly in from Texas, like come in from Maryland, North Carolina, like, you know, drive several hours, fly in, train in, because it was just such a desire for, and we ended up having like a seven hour <laughs> happy hour as a result of that. <laughs> but it was just, to your point, such hunger. Um, well, yeah, I really enjoyed it. Very last question. Are you wearing shorts right now? I, I wish, but I did have, <laughs> I am sitting in my home office that I spent way too much time on over the last year, but I did spend the first part of my day in in-person meetings. Um, and so I am wearing, I am wearing jeans. Okay. All right. Gotcha. You got me curious. You brought it up and I'm just like, well, now I have to know. Um, and I'm sure our listeners don't care at all, but that's okay. <laughs> well, thanks again, Daniel. This is really insightful. And thanks for sharing some of your personal story as well. Uh, that's always really fascinating just to hear how people got to where they are now working within kind of the passions and the strengths that they've accrued over time so that that's super interesting and thanks for the insight just on the peo industry and culture and where you think things are headed um i learned a lot took took a lot of good notes and um we'd love to have you back sometime but thanks so much yeah sure my pleasure jordan All right, guys. Well, thanks for tuning in to Bragworthy Culture. Again, this was Daniel Fuller of Full Stack. Um, So feel free to look him up, chat him up on LinkedIn. 
uh, and his podcast is called Savage to Sage. So thanks again to Daniel and we will see you next week. Bye-bye.